This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Right now that time, 8.09, you're tuned in to WGNS on this Wednesday morning. Again, the time right now, 8.09. In studio with us this morning, Rutherford County Sheriff's Office Sergeant Michael Rogers and Deputy William Travis. And Wait, do I have the wrong name there? Yeah, we switched it up at the last second on you. This is Trooper Langley with Highway Patrol. I, I totally got it wrong then. <laughs> let, me, let me write that down. So tell us, I guess, a little bit about what you guys do every day because I know... Uh, I talked with Lisa Marshall-Shoney. She was saying that the big thing that you guys do would be enforcing traffic situations, responding sure. to crashes, DUIs, all that type of stuff. Sure. So uh, this is Sergeant Rogers talking about my primary position at the sheriff's office as, as the traffic safety coordinator. Um, basically, what I do is research problem areas within the county, whether it be fatalities or DUIs, whatever um, types of issues we're having, and then I come up with solutions to combat those problems and make the, the roadway safer. Uh, some of those solutions might include um, highway safety saturation events, or they could be checkpoints and, and things of that nature. So you look at groups like Mothers Against Drunk Driving who release statistics every single year about fatal accidents involving DUI crashes and things along those lines. How accurate are those numbers and how often are those numbers updated? Uh, the fatality numbers uh, and the serious injury crashes are updated daily. Uh, we get a report daily from the, I get one from the Highway Safety Office and it just details um, you know, what the crashes are, where they occurred, what the causation was and, and maybe the trooper can speak to that a little bit sometimes the causation is a little delayed there there's some investigations that have to be done before we know exactly what happened you know rutherford county a big county around 614 square 614,000 square miles i guess right uh so that's that's a big area to cover especially for the highway patrol <laughs> yes sir it is um we're more more and more often having more troopers come up here to work they're starting to assign more troopers here so now we're starting to actually be able to go out and do a lot more we get a lot of help from the sheriff's department as well because i know that i guess the highway patrol is not quite as large in each county whenever you break it down by county numbers as large as the sheriff's department for example while i know the highway patrol is much bigger but i'm saying the number of cars that you have within an area. Yes, sir. Rutherford County is a really busy county. So actually we have 12 troopers here right now, not including the supervisors, just for Rutherford County. In a lot of places across the state, you'll have a single trooper that covers one or two counties, two or three counties at a time. And they're, I guess, mainly on the interstate and then they go down all the highways in that area that go directly off the interstate or what, what do they usually do? So a lot of times here, well, while we're here, Rutherford in Rutherford County, I-24 and 840 is a big concern area. We have a lot of incidents and accidents out there, but we normally try to stay on most of the state highways and all the county roads. What are you seeing the most of here in Rutherford County as far as not only accidents and where they are, but also arrest? What, what types of things are you seeing here? We see a lot of DUI arrests. 
a lot. We get DUI arrests daily, no matter the time. It's not always nighttime. We have a lot in daytime. And DUIs can involve anything from, of course, alcohol to drugs in your system. Yes, sir. Alcohol, illegal drugs, prescription medications, anything that impairs your, your mind or your body. Whenever somebody is on a prescription medication and they take it, you know, as prescribed, they're not driving, you know, when they take it, uh, how long, I mean, does that person have to worry about that medication being in their system the following day, six hours after they take it, when it should have worn off by then? I, I mean, do they have to worry about that if they were to get into an accident? So when you're taking your medication and it's prescribed to you, you have a therapeutic level. So as long as you're at that level, you're, you're perfectly fine. As long as it's your prescription, yeah. you're taking the dosage you're supposed to take, you're fine. When we take your, when, whenever we ask, you know, imply consent for your blood and we investigate, we find out those type of things. And I guess as long as it's not a medication that makes you drowsy. I mean, obviously you can't be taking the prescription level of Ambien and driving, you know? <laughs> yes, sir. Exactly. So those are, those are things that I guess you're up against all the time, every day. And it's interesting because you're even saying, you know, you're getting DUI arrest during daylight hours, not after 9 p.m. or something, which is what people I think would normally think. And the, the drugs that you're speaking of is, is what we're starting to combat, combat a lot of nowadays. A lot of the um, DUIs are trending towards the drug arrest as opposed to the alcohol arrest. Uh, and we've got a lot of good training going on with our officers right now. We've got what we call A-RIDE as an acronym for Advanced Roadside Impairment Detection. And we also have a position called a, a, a DRE, a drug recognition expert. And what those what those officers do is go uh, for 80 hours worth of training to learn how to detect and identify certain types of drugs that people might, might be using. And then they also do 12 live evaluations on subjects that are known to be impaired. And they do a drug screen for us so we know what they are. And those officers have to correctly identify those drug categories against the drug test to be certified to do that. And what those officers are, are trying to do is detect those drugs in people's bodies versus just the alcohol. It's gotta be tough to kind of figure out at times, you know, it, it if is. somebody's on a drug or, sure. or alcohol. Well, and the way we approach it is, I'm sure you've heard of the standard field sobriety, you know, and you see it on TV and, and, and those sorts of things. In the field, the officers will do those same tests and they will make the determination if that person is impaired or not. And then the drug recognition expert will meet the, the arresting officer at the jail and then do a further screening to detect what type of drug they might be using to, to further identify the source. You know, I always hear that looking into somebody's eyes is one of the first things that an sure. officer can do to try to figure out sure. if, if they're on something or not on something. But how relevant is that with today's drugs? I mean, is that always the case? It, it is. It, it's, it's absolutely relevant. We're, we're taught to do several different things. Um, we look for several different things in the eyes, and it could be as simple as, you know, a watery or glassy eye or the size of a pupil, the size of a pupil in different types of lighting how the eye follows a stimulus being a finger back and forth. And there's certain things that we look for in the eyes that are very indicative of an impairment on it behaves differently with different types of drugs. And that's what drug recognitions experts look for is how is the eye behaving and what does that indicate that person might be using? Watery eyes would be a tough one because during the summer, <laughs> well, so many have sure. allergies out there. For sure. So. And, and it's not so simple as, oh, yeah, watery eyes. Yeah. You, you have to be impaired. There's a lot to it, but it, it we call them clues. You know, they kind of go towards 
that type of thing. Each each category within the matrix has its own clues, and it's a combination of clues that'll help you figure out which category they're on. So you're able to put it all together fairly quickly and and try to decipher what's going on, and then if that person is going to need a, a, a blood test, if an arrest is going to be made. I mean, that's sure. that's a lot to process within a very short period of time because you pull somebody over. And then, you know, an hour later, you're with them at the jail. I, I well, because it, it happens fast, it seems like. <laughs> it doesn't happen fast, unfortunately. Um, it, w- the process that we go through from the time that we turn on a blue lights and stop somebody to the time that we leave the jail is generally about three hours, I would say. Unless you're super proficient at it, maybe you can cut that down. But generally speaking, that officer is going to be dealing with that person for about three hours to get it done. So that, and, that takes that officer off the street for sure. a three-hour period. Period. That, that well, and, and then you're going to go sit in your car somewhere and start paperwork, you know, so there's yeah. additional time. But unfortunately, you know, that's that's just kind of the nature of the beast. So what we're seeing a lot of now, it sounds like, are drug-impaired driving. That's sure. a big thing. Uh, Alcohol-impaired driving, sure. is that as big as it used to be? Yes. Uh, alcohol, it, it's always going to be there. I, I think, if I'm just being honest about it, I think that officers now are trained to see the drugs, whereas we uh, somewhat recently, previously didn't know what we were looking at. So maybe we were um, not taking the proper enforcement action on the people who may have been on drugs. And so now we, we, I think we have just as much alcohol, but we're adding on top of it the drugs because we know what we're looking at now, whereas previously we may have been like, well, there's something about this guy, but I don't know exactly what it is. And so we weren't comfortable arresting that person, if that makes sense. Agreed. A lot of times you have people who mix the two things, alcohol and drugs. And that's been the bigger, that's been the bigger thing here lately. That, that could be rough really quick. I mean, because, you, you know, there's so many medications out there. If you mix with alcohol, you're going to fall asleep or sure. you're going to be overly stimulated in some way. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a strange world out there today compared to, let's say, the 80s. I mean, it, I, it didn't seem like drugs were as big, at least prescription drugs being abused, as big back then as it is today. Sure. And I don't think either one of us were were around for. <laughs> I was here in the '80s, but I wasn't in that world. Um, but I, I just think that people are being more creative. Um, I guess if that makes sense, um, you will run into people if they will speak with you, vulnerable drug users that will talk to you. They're very creative in the way that they use their drugs. Uh, you you talked about mixing alcohol with maybe marijuana will have a different effect than maybe mixing like you know cocaine with heroin. You know it. it they call that a speedball. People do creative things so that they can get a high faster and then maintain a high versus just using just to use, I guess if that makes sense. So, um, and I think with the advent of the internet, there's a lot more information out there for people that can find these things and, and understand and use maybe more, more so than they did, like what you said in the 80s. With us this morning, State Trooper Langley and also Rutherford County Sheriff Sergeant Rogers with us and talking about different traffic issues, DUI enforcement, things along those lines. I know 231 South has always been a hotbed for accidents. I I don't know why, but it seems like there's always something going on on 231 South. And I I don't see that as much on 231 North, but on the south side, it seems like there have been accidents involving somebody driving down the wrong side at night. Uh, in fact, in May, there was an accident as well involving two vehicles that ended up in somebody's front yard, one vehicle overturned. But it happens a lot out there. 
231. It's a state highway. A lot of people use it to travel into Rutherford County so they can work. A lot of times it comes from a few things we were talking about a second ago, following too closely and speed. It's a relatively straight street. People speed a lot, <laughs> a lot. So if you're following too close and you're already going too fast, it's just a recipe for disaster. And then out there at night, it's very dark. There's not street lights really between exactly. sure. the city limits of Murfreesboro and Shelbyville. So I guess I, I could see where somebody turning out of a side road could turn and turn into traffic, yep. not even realizing it's a divided highway. And, and that's what I was going to bring up with, with a lot of the population population growth in Rutherford County. There are a lot of neighborhoods going in um, out that way. And, and the only way to access those neighborhoods is to turn off the highway and when you're coming out of those neighborhoods to turn across the highway. Um, and specifically, once you get a little further out, um, once you pass Highway 269 there in Christiana, the speed limit goes to 65. So you've got people trying to cross, you know, two lanes of highway to go the other way, and you've got traffic going at 65 to 70 miles an hour. It, it's just kind of, it's dangerous, you know, as, as many people are living out that way now and trying to cross that highway. Um, and, and then you, there's also a misconception. I've heard a lot of people that, that say that the speed limit is 55 all the way out there to the county line, which it's not. Um, it, it does turn to 65. And so then you've got people that are traveling at 55 being passed by people that are going 65 or 70. And that kind of causes a, you know, a recipe for disaster also. And then so, you have tractors out there as well. So and I mean, all sorts of, sure. Mix. Yeah, there's a lot going on out that way. And then uh, in Shelbyville, there is a hospital there. So sometimes I'm sure you see people from Murfreesboro driving to that hospital at a higher rate of speed, trying to get there quicker just like you see from Shelbyville sure. coming into town. So, I mean, it's just, there is a lot going on out there. It, there's a lot of enforcement going out there uh, right now as well. Uh, yes, we've, we've been focusing on that. I personally go out there just about every you know afternoon and try to catch that afternoon commute. Um, and, and I'm sure people have been seeing me out there uh, lately, but we're just trying to slow people down. We're, we're not really uh, excited to write tickets, but we do want people to slow down, at least go the speed limit. Uh, like the trooper said, give each other some space. You know, be patient, that kind of thing. What are some of the more interesting stops that you have made over the years? <laughs> I mean, you've got to have some funny stories and probably some not-so-funny stories as well. Uh, I'm sure that we do. It's kind of hard when you're put on the spot uh, <laughs> like that. Um, we, I'm not sure. <laughs> give, give us give us like an example of something <laughs> that you would <laughs> Well, you, you know, teenagers who are new drivers, I, I mean – you always hear that they say the dumbest stuff sometimes. <laughs> you know, I, I was speeding to get home because my mom sure. told me I had to be home by whatever time it is and I don't want to get in trouble or, you know, just, just silly stuff. So I, I will bring up, you, you talk about teenagers. Uh, my daughter is a senior this year and she's doing a, a thesis on um, what they call the, the hustle culture um, right now with, and basically, I, I think I'm saying that right. I might have my terminology wrong, but but basically, the idea that society is just always in a hurry. We're programmed to be in a hurry um, with you know, specifically the internet and social media and immediate gratification. Things of these nature um, cause us just to drive faster in general because we want to get from point A to point B as soon as possible, uh, and not for any particular reason. And and so when you when you talk about teenagers being stopped, it, it's not just teens. It's it's all drivers. A lot of times when you stop people, you say, hey, you were doing 80 in a 55 zone. Is everything okay? And they're like, well, I just, I didn't really know, you know, and it's like, well, okay, you know, <laughs> you should know at that extent, um, you know, what, what's the hurry? Nothing. I'm just, 
just trying to get home. Just going home, you know. It, it, and so it, we face kind of a dilemma with the culture. I think people are just programmed to d- to drive so quickly and not. It's just because that, that's just what we do, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the internet has really helped contribute to that too, because you know you order something on Amazon or eBay, whatever you know, and it's it, you expect it to be there that day almost, sure. and that's just the way people think. Well, you you got really short there. That seat. <laughs> Sunk. Giving the problems. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, it, it does seem like everybody expects everything to happen right away. They want to get home, you know, that second, and, sure. and and people don't pay attention like they used to. It's very true. Uh, I was ordering something on Amazon the other day. Well, I was looking at competitors, I guess, and I wanted to go with Amazon because I have Prime, and I knew, hey, it'll be here tomorrow versus two weeks. Yeah, you know. So that, I think there's something to that, but. Uh, what we have to figure out in law enforcement is how to how to deal with that. Uh, you know, a citation is not always ultimately. And I think the trooper, I think anybody would speak to this. We just want safe roadways. We, you know, we just want people to stop crashing, people to stop dying on our highways. And, and how do we fix that? And and a ticket is not always the solution, but sometimes it's the only tool that we have is to stop people and talk to them. And maybe they get a citation, maybe they don't, but. You know how do we fix that problem and, and i'm not sure we have a solution right now for that i wish we did we choose sometimes to educate or enforce a lot of times more times than not people may not believe it but we do choose to educate more than we enforce with a citation you know you, you look at teenagers again for example here it seems like they don't care as much about driving today in fact a lot of them get their license at age 17 or 18 these days when compared to just a few years ago sure. where at 16 you know most kids couldn't wait to get that license and start driving so i, I wonder if that falls over into the driving habits as well as, as far as them really enjoying driving and you know kind of taking pride in it taking pride in their car and, and being more careful back then versus today i mean even 10 years ago kids seem to sure. want to drive more well I, I know when i was growing up i, I was always on the, on my bike you know when i got off i was out of school i was on my bike and i was gone until the street lights came on that was my rule i was doing my thing and <laughs> i looked at a car as range now i can get further yeah during those time period you know but i think my my personal theory on this is that with with the cell phones and the internet kids don't have to go to those places they can just open FaceTime or open, you know, whatever the group chat is that they're doing. And they prefer just to stay home and do it virtually is what I see, especially right now, I guess, since, you know, the COVID-19 thing, people aren't getting around as much, but I think that, um, you know, like we used to hang out at the mall and the arcade, you know, but I think now it's just done social media style, you know, so. Well, you know, I, I think more places really frown upon teenagers hanging out in their parking lot today. Sure. And I, I don't remember it being as big of a deal a few years back. And I keep saying, you know, well, back then it was different. And But, but things have really changed over a very short period of time. And I think, you know, and with COVID-19, it's going to make things change even more sure. over, again, a short period of time in the near future. Mm-hmm. But things do change all the time. Rutherford County is growing like crazy. I think we have around 330,000 residents here. Mm-hmm. And that number is only going up. Sure. And it's going to be... I don't know, more interesting in the future as far as traffic enforcement goes and seeing what people do next. 
It is, and and we try to stay on top of that. The highway department does a great job of. I've lived in a couple of different states. I think that Tennessee has some of the best roadways around. Um, personally, I, I feel that way. But the highway department does a great job keeping up with growth and roadway improvements. Uh, I live in Murfreesboro, and I've seen the city uh, department make some great improvements, specifically over on uh, the Haynes area uh, memorial, where all that stuff comes in, and it, some of that business is coming. And I think they know that, so they're uh, they're putting in sidewalks right now up and down Memorial. Uh, so they're, I feel like they do a great job keeping up. But it's um, with the, the 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 growth, the the boom that we're experiencing. I, I know that's got to be a challenge to keep up with that. Whenever you respond to a traffic accident and you you know driving up on it that it's it's going to be a fatality, what are some of the first thoughts that you have that go through your mind? Because it it's got to be somewhat chaotic when you pull up to the scene of something where a car is flipped over. You you see somebody on the side of the road. I mean, there's just so much going on at the scene of so many accidents. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes when you come up to a fatality. A lot of times as troopers, we always make the notification in person. We don't do phone notifications or text notifications. And you have to deal with it as a whole, as far as the taking pictures, the measuring, telling the family what happens, as all, and also figuring out what happened. And it's, it's sometimes it's a lot, depending on, especially when it's younger, like teenagers or children that are involved, children who aren't in car seats. That's unexplainable. What is it like going to somebody's house and knocking on the door at you know, 9 p.m. or 2 a.m. and saying so-and-so has been in a wreck. It's overwhelming. You never get the same response twice. You never get used to it. Every time you're still, you still feel that same anxiety every time you knock on the door because you know you're telling someone that, hey, your loved one isn't coming home today. And, you, you know, everybody knows if an officer of any kind knocks on your door at 2 a.m. and you know it's going to be bad news. I mean, it just it's ingrained in you that people don't come to my house at 2 a.m. So something's going on. So I, I can't imagine that that parent or grandparent. I, I mean, I'm sure you get everything from people just totally frozen, not knowing what to say, because it seems like shock usually sets in and, and you don't know what to say probably for several days even, you know, whenever you find out that somebody passed away that's in your life. Yes, sir. You have those reactions. You have people who just go blank. You have people that even try to fight you because they don't want to believe you. They're telling you not to tell them that. They would rather not know. And then I'm I'm sure you have some who pass out or, I mean, because I can't imagine, you know, that feeling that you would get. So I, I don't, have you had to call the ambulance before whenever you had to tell people? Yes, sir. My very first notification I did. And when you're doing that, I mean, are you thinking... I mean, what, what does run through your mind? You know, this could be my family. I, I mean, because that would be tough to every, figure out how to handle. Every single time. Um, when it comes to officers who have children, and it comes to children being in crashes or married couples, or they see someone else that's married or they have children and they have to go tell them, hey, your child is not coming home. Those are normally what hit most officers the most, especially when they have a significant other that's involved that they haven't spoken to that day or haven't spoken to recently that day. What? What do they want to know? I mean, because, you know, some people I think would want to know what happened. Other people, they just wouldn't. They they would just want to know, well, the fact is that they passed away. You know, I, so, I mean. Every single one, they want to know every detail. Wow. No matter how, no matter how bad it is, they want to know every detail. And it's kind of strange 
to hear it because you know as you're thinking about it now you're like i wouldn't want to know that yeah but as soon as it happens they they cry for a few minutes and then they say what happened i I guess they want to i guess take it all in right then because you don't want to learn a little bit today a little bit tomorrow a little bit the next day what about accidents involve a drunk driver hitting somebody and, and killing them they go to jail are those are those tougher though for families to take in? I mean, when they understand that somebody who is out there who is drinking, driving, not obeying the law, it's, it's normally pure anger. Yeah, the sorrow normally doesn't even set in because as soon as they find out that the person may have been impaired, it's pure anger. So we have to try to stay with them, keep them calm, make sure nothing else, make sure they're not going to try to go out and do anything about it. But a lot of times, man, explaining that it's. It's not hard, and we have to reassure them, like, hey, we're, we're, we're definitely going to do our part. Definitely going to do our part. You know, as a parent, it would be hard not to want to do something, you know? I, I mean, because that's just mm-hmm. the anger that you would feel as a parent is just it, it's a level that I don't think anybody can really fathom. It, it, I think going to those types of uh, scenarios, we try to prepare the best we can. Uh, Rutherford County, we've got chaplains that are on staff that, that will, if we are available, we do the best we can to have a chaplain come and, and be there. Um, we try to uh, speak to the family and, and determine if there's anybody that we can reach out on their behalf. Maybe they have a, a chaplain that they want present, or maybe they have a family member. Um, but. The way it works in Rutherford County, the Highway Patrol typically will work all of the fatalities. Uh, the Sheriff's Office assists, but they, they will do the investigation. And, and I got to say that they do an outstanding job, uh, very professional, uh, very compassionate with these types of people, uh, unfortunately, that, that have to experience that. And, you know, we try to bet, you know prepare the best we can, um, but I don't know that there's any uh, good way to approach that you know it's just one of those necessities and and i think that's the motivation you know if you if you speak to officers that have been down that road uh, that's why we make the traffic stops you know and that's why we try to educate people and you know we're trying to avoid that not for not only for ourselves but for those families that that we've looked into those eyes and and personally i feel like a failure that i i didn't prevent whatever it was that came to their doorstep so I think that's a motivation for a lot of officers as well. I definitely agree with that. You hear a lot of rumors about troopers and DUIs. If if we think you're under the influence, it, you're, there's no calling the ride. There's no getting a ride home. There's no walking home. We are going to arrest you. Because if we let you go today, how do we know you won't do the same thing tomorrow, put someone else's life at risk? That's my family, your family. And chances are good they're <clears throat> going to do it time and time again. I mean, more. I guess more so than likely if you get a DUI, you're probably addicted if it's alcohol related you're probably an alcoholic i mean that's just it's just something that goes hand in hand alcoholism and dui i mean that's just something that you you don't do and we see that a lot we we will arrest dui offenders that have multiple previous you know it's dui sixth offense seventh tenth offense you know on up um it's an unfortunate thing like you said and we, we just ask, you know, we don't want to condemn, you know, using alcohol if that's what you choose to do. We just want you to either stay at home, you know, or, or call us a, a ride. You know, there, there's so many options nowadays with the Ubers and, and the Lyfts and, the, and all that. So there, it's so easy to get a ride, you know, that we just highly recommend that they do that. 
And then the excuse of, well, I didn't have enough money to call a taxi or Uber, but well, you had enough money to go out and drink, you know? Sure, sure. It's got to get irritating, though, hearing the excuses and and seeing seeing those who are getting arrested over and over again for alcohol-related offenses. Well, I I don't think our guys get irritated. Um, I I think we try to stay professional and and do our jobs, um, you know, the best we can without trying to be personally, you know, affected by it, I guess, if that makes sense. And I'm sure you hear every excuse in the book, you know, well, I'm, I'm drinking today because X, Y, Z. I mean, or they're begging you to call their wife, call their husband to let let them come pick them up. And, uh, in and my experience, it, it's just that they say that they're not drinking or they're not using drugs. And, and it to me, it's night and day. And I'm sure if you've been around somebody that's intoxicated, you can clearly tell, you know, and it's not so much excuses it's is as is it is denying right that's not what's going on i'm just tired you know or i'm just sleepy but they reek of alcohol you know (laughs) exactly exactly so if you're the average citizen out there if they're at a gas station a grocery store the person in line behind them just obviously reeks of alcohol and is buying more alcohol sure should you watch them and then call police please absolutely and it I would encourage them if they can do it safely. Um, if the vehicle starts moving, you know, to to stay on the phone with the dispatcher and try to give us a play-by-play where they are, what's going on. A lot of times, unfortunately, um, you know, citizens will call and they will say, you know, I'm behind this guy and I feel like he's intoxicated, um, but I've got to turn right here because this is my neighborhood, you know, and, and maybe we're five or ten minutes away and we're ne- never able to find, you know, that car. And that's unfortunate, you know. I would urge citizens, please stay on the phone until, you know, an officer can get there. Um, and, and we won't get you tied up in court, you know. <laughs> not, at, not at all. Um, typically what the officer will do once they make contact with that vehicle is follow it for a minute and establish our own reason to stop that vehicle so that that caller is not involved. We can testify to our own cause to stop that. Most officers will do that. Um, but we just want to get them off the street. Uh, I will add, though, <laughs> with... Um, cell phones today and texting and driving and distracted driving that looks exactly the same the exact same as a as a as a dui distracted driving i mean you can't tell the difference until you stop them and you go up there and talk to them and then it becomes clear what's going on but just following a vehicle the mannerisms are the same you know as a citizen i i have seen people who i think are drunk sure i've called police before for people who i think are drunk i've followed them until you know authorities were able to catch up to them and and whatever but the things that i see and i'm I'm not a trained officer at all but the stupid things that i see where somebody who obviously is drunk they they run i've seen the same person run two red lights in a row um run off the road and these are the types of things that citizens should actually call 911 about i I mean these are things that happen that it's your responsibility as a citizen to try to prevent that person from killing somebody. That's what we want. Um, you know, sometimes people decide not to do that or, or they do do that on occasion. Um, but that as officers, that's what we want. We want to get those people off the street or at least determine that maybe they're not having a medical emergency. You know, if you see something that, um, someone's all over the road, erratic driving, they could be having, you know, a diabetic crisis. And if you don't call us to figure that out, you know, they, they may have, you know, they may die or have serious injury because of that crisis and there was no one there to help them. So, um, yeah, absolutely. If, if you see something, please let us know. 
um, so that we can come and figure out what's going on with it. Speaking speaking of crack or speaking of um, people driving impaired or having medical emergencies, a lot of our fatalities aren't always the people that are intoxicated. So sometimes, well, a lot of the times, those are people who are actually driving how they're supposed to, paying attention, doing everything they are, and then they get hit by an impaired driver. So you could be saving someone who's completely innocent by doing that. So it's really important for those who are out there driving. If you see somebody driving crazy, if the guy in line behind you at the gas station is buying more alcohol and already reeks of alcohol, you need to watch out for these things. Yes. You should always be looking in your mirrors when you drive. I try to look at my mirrors every five to ten seconds, all three of them, just because it's always the people that are around you that will make a huge difference when it comes to crashing. So when y'all are not on patrol, not in uniform, you're out driving somewhere on a Friday evening, are, are you always looking for those who may be <laughs> drunk? I mean, I don't know how you couldn't. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it just jumps out to you. Um, and, and I have off-duty called in several. Um, you know, to, to an officer, when, when you drive around all day and that's what you look for, it, it's just obvious to you. And, and when I call dispatch, I'll say, hey, you know, I'm an off-duty officer and I know what I'm looking at, so make sure you get somebody over here. Um, but, but yeah, it just um, when you look at vehicles all day long, erratic movements just kind of catch your eye. You know, if you're looking, just a, someone that's just driving normal might not see the same things that we see because you know I kind of see a line of cars, and if I see a car pop out to the right or pop out to the left, you know that car will stick out to me. Um, or there's just certain things that make it jump out to me and i see those off duty as you know as well seeing it off duty to me seems easier <laughs> <laughs> yeah because they're not looking for you yes exactly <laughs> now in tennessee i think i read a couple of years back there's some kind of law that if a law enforcement officer sees a crime in progress and they're off duty is it their requirement to still i don't know phone it in or, or try to do something about it <laughs> I, I, it, there's not a there's no law um I, I think it depends okay um if if i'm out in public and i'm off duty and i'm with my family and i witness a you know a minor shoplifting offense or something of that nature I, i'm sure certainly going to uh, be a good witness and and try to contain but i'm not going to get involved with an altercation with a suspect off duty with my family around and in, in, in other community but if it's a serious you know a, a robbery or you know something like that then i'll i will certainly get involved um i guess if that if that makes sense you try to separate try to separate sometimes when you're at work you know you're the high high alert you're always ready but sometimes when you're off duty something smaller you do try to be a good witness you try not to be involved in everything especially around your family you have to separate the two and what about I guess medical situations like a medical crisis sure. when you come upon that you, you know on duty off duty whatever it is uh, what is the first thing that you usually do it, again it depends on the crisis. Uh, personally um i have been off duty and the first person and witness a crash rollover crash right in front of me um and in that situation you know you just i think something takes over and you just respond to that as if you were working um in this particular situation the vehicle was on the side and um i was able to break out a window and crawl in the vehicle and, and just support that person until you know ems can arrive um we 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 have training in cpr and, and life-saving skills and if we witness something 
right in front of us. We're obviously going to do the best we can with the tools we have until, you know, EMS can arrive. And a lot of times in those situations, people just want somebody to take control of it and stabilize and just appear to know what they're doing and it will calm the situation. And, and a lot of people that are having medical crisis, uh, it's a mental thing. They, it helps them survive just to know that there's somebody there that kind of knows and they're not alone and they're not going to panic and go into shock and that sort of thing. I think any law enforcement officer sees anything, medical crisis, we'll all jump, we'll all jump to action second without even thinking about it. It's all about saving a life. I guess panic is one of the biggest things that you're up against whenever somebody is in an accident, they may look down and see their leg, you know, maybe a huge gash in their leg. Sure. Well, if they panic, you know, their heart rate's going to go up even more. I, I mean, it just, I guess, it risks a lot of other things happening if somebody's panicked. So I guess calming somebody is the number one thing. Sure. Absolutely. Be reassuring. Talk to them. Let them know you're there to help. Let them know help is on the way. With us this morning, Trooper Langley and also with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office, Sergeant Rogers. And when we come back from this next break here, I wanted to find out a little bit more about what a citizen should do if they see a child left in a car. Because you hear a lot about that during the summer especially during the summer uh, where a child's been left in a hot car, the car's turned off. Sure. And what, what the first thing is that you should do right now, that time eight we're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back here at music world and drummer's den. We do our very best to be very price competitive on most major items. We're matching internet prices and sometimes even better. So if you're looking for great quality at good prices, this is the place to shop. Come by today and join our Play Today music program. We can get you started playing today and ready to go. This is Dave Kivanemi inviting you to come by Music World and Drummer's Den in Murfreesboro across from Indian Hills. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurant. We're excited to announce that our dining rooms are back up and running. We may not be at full capacity and we may not have all of your favorite menu items or the favorite touches that you're used to having, but at the same time, we are excited to be able to serve you. We have brought our servers back. We have retrained them. Our cooks are excited to put the steaks on plates that you can cut with a real knife as opposed to plasticware from your home. And I invite your family to come and join our family back at Demas's Restaurants on Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. It's the perfect time for a powerful business refresh during Dell Technologies Cyber Savings Event. It starts now with up to 50% off high-performance Windows 10 business laptops, desktops, and servers, plus top-brand electronics. It's also your chance to streamline IT and and simplify PC life cycles with PC as a service. Dell Technologies recommends Windows 10 Pro for business. Call 877-ASK-DELL for a Dell Technologies advisor who can help you find the right tech. That's 877-ASK-DELL or visit dell.com slash smallbusinessdeals. It's happening. In just days, Publishers Clearinghouse will be ready to award $7,000 a week for life. That's $7,000 a week, week after week, for life. Don't miss your last chance to win. Go to PCH.com and enter before it's too late. That's PCH.com. Better hurry if you want the next big winner to be you. Enter now at PCH.com. Entries due 826. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. COVID-19 has changed our world. And First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you. 
During these uncertain times, it's good to have a friend to walk with you and help with financial guidance. First National Bank of Murfreesboro is here to help you with free text banking, bill paying, mobile deposits, and more. I'm Shelly Rigsby, manager of First National Bank of Murfreesboro. And I'm Amanda Gentry, First National Bank of Murfreesboro, member FDIC. Mostly sunny skies here this afternoon with a high into the mid-90s. Southwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear skies, a low near 73. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 70. Good morning. Still flying into traffic volume, but hey, it's moving. Let's keep it that way here on 24, especially westbound on By Bell Road, Hickory Hollow Parkway, trying to get through that construction. It's moving around quite a bit now. Folks are up and at them, leaving Smyrna, coming down Sam Ridley, uh, headed towards the interstate. Hey, for that perfect getaway just outside of Gatlinburg, check out Cosby Creek Cabins. Log on today, CosbyCreekCabins.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time traffic. Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. Right now, that time, 8.50, you're tuned into WGNS on this Wednesday morning, today, the 15th of July. And with us in studio this morning from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office, Sergeant Lang, or not Sergeant Langley, Sergeant <laughs> Rogers, and also State Trooper Langley. Not yet. <laughs> so, so we have. Uh, both of you mainly enforce traffic situations, I guess, and oversee traffic problems, and right. etc. Uh, one of the things we mentioned before that break, children being left in cars, it seems like you always hear news stories about it every single year. But is that as big of an issue as sometimes you, you think it is as far as the way it's made out to be? Personally, yeah. We don't see a lot of it, I guess, when you compare it to other things that we do see. Um, it's just a particularly sensitive thing when it does happen. I, th- I think people see that as a, um, a neglectful type thing, and so it's, it's a big deal when it does happen. Um, I think as far as officers, we, if you encounter that, we definitely want to know, and that's justifiably a 911 situation. You know, depending on the age of the child, you know, if, if the child's... Uh, you know, definitely in a car seat and can't help themselves and or, you know, they can't control uh, the way that I would determine it. If they can, if they're old enough that they can adjust the air and get in and out of the car and adjust the radio, obviously they're probably okay to be there by themselves. But Mm -hmm. if they're not old enough to do that, we want to know about it for sure. I mean, you take, you take a car, leave the windows rolled up during the summer. And if you have that car turned off, when you get back out there an hour later, it's going to be 150 degrees inside. Yeah. so for a, a small child, two, three years old, who's in a car seat, I, I mean, there's that would easily overheat them. Within oh yeah, with just a few minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah, just a few minutes, and and we will. Uh, I mean, if that were to happen when when we got on scene, we would definitely take care of that situation and fix that in a hurry. But, um, you know, I, I haven't dealt with it. Most of the the kids locked in cars actually come from people at home. Uh, they will call us themselves and say, oh, I just locked my keys or my kid in my car. I was getting ready for work and the keys are it, but the car's running. You know, I, I was getting ready for work and this happened or that happened. We're still concerned about that, but it's not a life threatening issue necessarily, you know, so 
I know a law was passed a few years back in Tennessee allowing citizens to break the window out of a vehicle if they see, you know, a baby or whatever inside there locked up with the car turned off. I think even for animals now, uh, I think you're allowed to break the window of a vehicle if you if you see that, which I, I don't which know. Is right interesting, off, do you know? But it is it's okay. True. So is that the, I mean, obviously, I don't think that's the first thing you should do. You should first, I guess, kind of see how, try to get an idea how long the child's been in the car. Well, you can evaluate. As officers, we have tools. um, We have lockout kits that we can get into cars in in those types of situations. We prefer, you know, if the air's running and if the child is okay, maybe they're just upset, but, you know, they're okay, then we would prefer to get into that vehicle uh, without destroying anything, yeah. um, but certainly there are occasions, uh, and I have I have broken out people's windows. You know that's it does happen. Um, you know, and, and that's dependent on the severity of the situation. And you also hear about cases where, you know, the child's been left in the car for four hours, five hours at a time, and, and those usually end poorly. I mean, that ends up with a death. Well. It has happened in, in Rutherford County a couple of times. I, I have not uh, that particular type of situation. If it was a parked vehicle, um, that would kind of turn into a detective's invest, like a general detective's investigation. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't necessarily be traffic related, if, if that makes sense. We were talking about DUI enforcement earlier, and I'm curious, how often do you see DUI cases where somebody's driving either on alcohol or drugs and they have a child or several children in the car sure. with them? Sure. Yeah. I'd probably say one out of three so far at least for me this month it's been one out of three with children still in the car what do you say to that person i mean because it's just it seems even more irresponsible than to be on the road to begin with it just seems what do i say or what do i want to say (laughs) well what do you say i mean i kind of i try to explain to him like hey you, you have to you're already made an irresponsible decision by deciding to drive but even more so you put your children in danger as well Normally, they don't have an excuse. None. They think it's normal. They think it's okay. And, and then if you have, it's a six-year-old, seven-year-old, that age is seeing that, well, I guess it's okay for my dad to drink all day then drive me to the market to grab some more to drink. I, I mean, you're, you're setting also an example there. Especially when it's children who don't quite understand. So to them, it does seem normal. They don't, they don't have the sense right now because to tell them, hey, like, I don't think this is a good idea. So when you make the call to the other parent and say, hey, look, your husband's just been arrested with your kid in the car here. We need you to come out here and pick up your child. We also called DCS. They're going to come out here too. Do you ever find out that the mom's drunk at home as well or the dad is drunk as well? I've had it where the mother didn't know the other one had, had the children. I've had it where that's their only car. They have no way out there. What do you do? Have to call DCS. That's that's the only thing. Sometimes I don't like. You, sometimes I don't think it's always appropriate to have to call DCS for certain situations. But when there's no one that can come out there, I have to. That's just part of it. Especially if the other parent is also on drugs as well. So, does the officer ever take the child to the house? Yes, if we have the manpower to do it. If we have the manpower to do it, we will. But in other cases, you're also the one having to take the suspect to jail. Exactly. If I have to take him to jail, I can't take, I won't transport the person to the jail as well as the children in the back seat. There is no 
um, operating procedure for that. We just kind of have to be creative. We have to make sure that we handle the offense of, of the DUI. We have to make sure that that child is, you know, in a safe place, whether that be with another parent, with a grandparent, um, you know, in, in, in a bad case scenario with DCS. If it were the case of a trooper arrest, he may have to call us, you know, the county to come out and help, you know, with just with the logistics of that um, and, and just be creative and how we can get all those parties to a safe place and, and a good resolution. So unfortunately, it's it's not so always so easy as just do this, do that. It, it doesn't always line up so nicely. What about those who are teenagers who are drinking and driving and we're either doing drugs and driving? Do you run across that a lot? Uh, we do, um, and and that's one of those. Um, the judicial, the the juvenile judicial system is kind of unique. Um, we want to use the least harsh method um, available. Uh, sometimes taking them to juvenile detention is not always the answer. Uh, sometimes getting a parent involved, or um, what works most effectively in my experience is getting a coach involved if they play sports. Yes. That that solves a lot of problems now obviously if it's a if it's a dui you know like you described that's um kind of we can't always turn a blind eye to that sometimes we have to handle that but if it's a lesser serious offense we like to try to get the kids you know back um, on the right track right try to catch them early before it becomes a habit now sometimes teens are just teens and they'll make stupid decisions sure. but then other times you know, with with alcohol or with drugs, it could also be a sign that something else is going on at home. They're they're drinking. They're doing drugs for a reason. It's because of something they see or been through. So how do you how do you figure out what to do? I mean, do you sit down and talk with the teen before you make an arrest and say, "Hey, look, what's going on in your house?" You have a if you have a chance to actually speak with them, and they will speak with you. Of course, we call anyone that we need to call. A lot of times, if you find out they play sports. Their teammates, their coaches, they'll know. And as you speak with them, you'll start to learn more and gain insight into the child and what's going on at home. Because there, there's so many things going on, I guess, within homes that we never know about that are just really bad things. And, and there's, you know, they're just waiting for somebody to get involved, I guess. Yes, sir. We, we just have to encourage, encourage them to speak up. Nowadays, it seems teens don't want to talk. They don't want to talk. Some of them don't even speak to their friends. They tell their friends certain things, but not everything. I wonder why that is. I wonder why so many young adults, teenagers are, are so, I don't know, quiet about stuff. I blame social media, <laughs> but maybe that's just me. I think people, they want people to see a certain persona. They yeah. want people to see them a certain way. And I don't think they want to be judged for anything that's not within that standard. We're already out of time, so. <laughs> but but thank you for joining us this morning for sure, and uh, just for folks listening, I don't know. Make sure you don't drink and drive, and don't speed, right? Sure. Give give people plenty of space on the roadway. Uh, pay attention. You know, don't do the distracted driving, and and just be patient on the roadways. Yes, and be courteous. Make good decisions. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. And local news comes your way next, followed by CBS News. An update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio, WGNS, CBS Radio News.